together. Lord, we bow in your presence and as we've been singing about our Saviour, we do magnify his name this morning, his death and resurrection that has secured our freedom, has purchased our salvation and our forgiveness, has given us eternal life. Lord, we rejoice and we marvel at such amazing grace. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us out of darkness into light. You've opened our eyes that we can see glimpses of truth you have for me. Lord, continue to open our eyes that we may see even greater things this morning. We thank you for the Bible, your precious word. Please speak to us through it as we study it together. We pray, Lord, that you will build this church. Thank you, Lord, for your hand of favour upon us over the last few days, for Sunday fun last Sunday, and for Christianity Explored on Tuesday. Also for all the other things that happen during each week. But Lord, we do seek you because who can raise the dead? Who can open blind eyes? Who can unstop deaf ears but you? And Lord, we pray for children learning in their classes this morning, those who came last Sunday afternoon with their parents, those coming on Christianity Explored, that Lord, their eyes will be opened to the truth that is in Jesus Christ. We thank you that Christ is the way, the truth and the life. We pray, Lord, that we might all experience more of your life because Jesus said he came to give life in all its fullness. So build this church, we pray. Lord, I pray that you'll protect this church. Protect us from division. Protect us from disunity. Protect us from critical uh, talking of each other. Rather, may we be those who encourage and support and build each other up, that the body of Christ might grow. But Lord, as we've already perhaps thought earlier on, our nation is drifting so far from you. So few, Lord, today will be seeking you. And so we pray for a revival of true godliness, of righteousness across our nation, Lord. Bless the leaders of this country, those in the royal family, those in parliament, in regional and local governments. Bless those, Lord, in schools, the police, in authority over us, that yet again, Lord, this nation might be a Christian country and help us to be lights that shine brightly in a dark and crooked generation. Lord, we pray for each other. We pray for those who are unwell. May they know your close presence and your healing power in their lives. Bless them, Lord, we pray. We pray for situations across the world. We think of those suffering in India from this terrible cyclone. For those seeking to flee from Syria or other torn areas in North Africa and the disasters that have taken place. 
Lord, your world is broken and fractured by sin. We pray for those who suffer. Grant them relief, Lord. And we pray that your kingdom might come and your will might be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So let's pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning again. We are working our way through Ephesians, and we've reached chapter 3 this morning. Uh, It's headed in the NIV, Paul the preacher to the Gentiles. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. God's new society, all is revealed. Uh, If you've got page 2 of the bulletin open. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets." This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now the passage we've just read is perhaps uh, somewhat unusual in the Bible because Paul seems to interrupt himself. He seems to break off from his line of thinking and then come back to it. You see in uh, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then if you jump to verse 14, he starts again. For this reason I kneel before the Father. He resumes where he'd left off. Now, if you're a married man here this morning, does your wife ever interrupt you? Or perhaps more seriously and more dangerously, have you ever dared to interrupt your wife? But Paul here interrupts himself. 
and he goes off on a tangent. Perhaps he was a mathematician. Apparently, they don't sin, they sign, they always have a nice tan and are forever going off on a tangent. But actually, Paul wasn't a mathematician. Well, he wasn't such a mathematician, far from it. As we've read in our passage, he was very conscious of his sin, calling himself in verse 8, less than the least, the leastest, if you can say that, of all God's people. And he's always praising God for his amazing grace to forgive him, to save him, to give him new life in and through Jesus. But these verses, particularly verses 2 to 13, are a glorious tangent. And I'm so glad that Paul broke off to write them. But isn't it interesting that God has weaved perfectly into the Bible, into his inerrant word, Paul's natural inclination at this point to break off and think of something else. Now, inerrancy, we believe the Bible is inerrant. Inerrancy means that the Bible and every word within it is true. It's flawless. It's without error. Because God doesn't and cannot lie. But the Bible isn't written as though it's a logical, scientific textbook that works very carefully A, B, C to Z. It's not written like that because the way God has sovereignly worked is that the Bible is his breathed out word through human authors. And Paul is allowed, as it were, to go off on this tangent. Because what he writes is actually wonderful, inerrant truth. And God is able to work, you see, through each of us with our different characteristics. How we are made, God works perfectly and uniquely through each of us. Now, why does Paul go off on this tangent? Well, it seems to me that... Perhaps the reason is he writes the word Gentiles. You see what he says in verse 1? For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Ah, Gentiles. Yes, of course. How amazing, isn't it? In God's working and his God's grace that he's drawn Gentiles, people who are not Jews, into his kingdom. There are no barriers now between the Jew and the Gentile. There are no barriers between the Gentile and God. Jesus has destroyed all such barriers, and God is creating his new society, a single, new, multicultural, multiracial family, the church, his body. And therefore, in verse 6, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And yes, amazing as it seems, I, Paul, have had the great privilege of explaining this to you Gentiles. Verse 8, God's grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then, as it were, he gets to verse 14. Ah, yes, what was I about to say? And God willing, we'll look at verses 14 to 21. I was going to think next week, 
But just to encourage you, I'd already got to page 16 in my notes. I thought we'd better break today into two weeks. So we're going to look at verses 1 to 13 over two weeks, and then verses 14 to 21 in two weeks' time. God willing. Now, I want to study this tangent under three headings. Paul refers to the mystery of Christ. Now, what does he mean? What's this mystery all about? And then he says that this mystery has been unveiled or revealed. What's the message that's now clear to everybody? And finally, and this is what we'll study next week, what are some of the characteristics of being a messenger of this message? What can we learn from Paul? So, first of all, the mystery. Now, when we get the chance, Jill and I uh, quite enjoy watching crime mysteries. Who done it? Morse, Lewis, Agatha Christie, Broadchurch. Uh, I particularly like Frost because of the humour between Frost and Mullet. I think that is just brilliant. But I've said to Jill that if ever Poirot or Miss Marple turned up in fleet and particularly came to my door, I would shoot them. <laughs> because one death is far more preferable than the three or four that you, they usually cause or that they usually have all happening around them when they turn up on your screen. And of course, if you've got any sense, you've given up watching Midsummer Murders because there can't be anybody left in Midsummer. <laughs> after all the people who've been killed there. It's a dreadful place. But these crime mysteries, what they do generally is they keep you in suspense almost until the last minute, until the brilliant Poirot or the somewhat bumbling Miss Marple reveals the most unlikely murderer and often for the most obscure reason. Now, Paul talks about mystery in verses 3, 4, 6, and 9. And is he talking about something that's obscure, something that's puzzling, something that's secret, something that's inexplicable? And is Paul like God's Poirot? Suddenly he's worked it out, and he's now going to explain it all to us. No, not at all. The Greek meaning here of the word mystery means simply a truth that was previously hidden from human knowledge but has now been disclosed by the revelation of God. Christian mysteries are truths that are beyond our human discovery. I couldn't find this out myself. Poirot couldn't have worked this one out but they have been revealed to us by God himself. And now these mysteries are open truths for all God's people. Equally, we have access to these truths that previously were somewhat hidden away. The world, you see, is full of people who speculate and who full of conjecture. Is there a God? If there is, what's he like? Is there life after death? What happens when I die? But the wonderful thing you see about being a Christian and about Christianity is that God has revealed the truth to us. 
He has drawn back the curtains and he's clearly shown us the truth. Now, I was reminded of this on Tuesday morning. I had the privilege of speaking to about 120 children at All Saints School. And in one of the groups, uh, a girl asked me, what is God like? And the thought just immediately came to me, he is exactly like Jesus. Because Jesus said he came to reveal God to us. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The mystery of what God is like is now open to us. We can see what God is like by looking at Jesus. Notice that in verse 3, Paul says, this mystery was made known to him by revelation. And in verse 5, it's been revealed by the Holy Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Jesus, of course, had revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. And on other occasions, the Holy Spirit had spoken to Paul and to the apostles and prophets. They had not worked it out themselves. They hadn't made educated guesses, speculating what the truth would be. They hadn't reached out and found God. Rather, through the Holy Spirit, God had reached down to them. And God revealed everything to Paul and the others. Don't try and flounder your way to find God in the dark. Ask God instead to turn the lights on. And he will. And he will enable you to see. Great words of Jesus. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You see, God's wonderful plan of salvation, Christ dying on the cross and rising again, living as a born-again believer, as a child of God, are all open, revealed truths. Mysteries, yes, to those who are blind spiritually, but clear and visible to us whom God has revealed the truth. That's why we speak and we magnify in this church the grace of God. Because God in his grace gives this to us. He opens our eyes. He helps us to see. We'd never see it ourselves. We don't deserve this. But by his grace he reveals the truth to us. And this is why perhaps we must also warn others about these so-called mystery religions secret societies, particularly, for example, the the Masons. Secret societies that you've got to be on the inside to know anything about. Beware, these are demonic forces because the devil works in darkness, whereas God works in the light. God is light and truth. This is why you and I must also seek wisdom and discernment when some within the Christian church claim they've discovered the secret to spiritual success, for example. You can buy the book, Seven Steps, Seven Secret Ways to Your Spiritual Success, Your Wealth, Whatever. Typically, you have to send a big donation, which is the guy's secret to his uh, spiritual success, but it's certainly not yours. Beware. The Bible is open. It's not a secret that you have to pay for, that you have to seek some particular experience for. Now, 
When Paul says the truth, the mystery has now been revealed, he doesn't mean that God has revealed everything to his people. In fact, he refers in verse 8 to the unsearchable riches of Christ. What God has revealed to you and me is all that I need for now. But as Paul so wonderfully says in the old AV version of 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass darkly. Now we're peering through. We see enough, yet not enough to long for more. And in heaven, everything will be made clear. Although it's going to take you eternity to get to the bottom of everything. Two final thoughts under this heading of mystery. It was only when God had revealed to Paul the mystery that Paul then had his ministry given to him to the Gentiles. The mystery is revealed first, the ministry then follows. And God must reveal the truth to you and I before you and I seek to speak the truth to others. Revelation and our response by faith must come first before our works. And yet our works are intrinsically linked to our faith. It's faith first. Believe God. You can't earn your way to, he to heaven. But having believed God and received eternal life, then we serve God, not to be saved, but because we are saved. And then, as I was preparing this sermon, I was just at this point reminded of a very old, simple gospel song. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, He'll do for you with arms wide open. He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. And if someone tells you in the church, oh, it's all a secret and I've got the answer, beware. The mystery is revealed. It's open to us, as Paul says. But secondly, the message. The mystery has been revealed... But what exactly is it? What is the message? What has been revealed to us? And I want to unpack this using three headings. Inclusion, infinity, and intention. First of all, inclusion, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, there are hints that God planned to save the Gentiles. God's heart is for the whole world. He promised Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Genesis 12. If you look through Psalm 72, it talks of the nations serving God. In Isaiah 49, the, Lord, the Lord's servant and this is a prophecy about Jesus, is going to be a light to the Gentiles. And he would bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. But what God now is clearly revealing is that as a result of Jesus, Israel's dominance as the theocracy, the people of God, is now over. And there is now, in place of Israel... An international community of God's people. 
the church, the body of Christ, in which Jew and Gentile are equal without distinction. There are no barriers now between Jew and Gentile. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, you might remember how Peter had really struggled with this whole idea. You remember in Acts 10, he has a vision of a sheet being uh, lowered from heaven with all types of creatures, animals on it. And he's told to kill and eat. And he says, no, Lord, I can't do that. These are unclean animals. But God speaks to Peter. And perhaps reluctantly, Peter goes off and preaches to the Roman centurion, Cornelius, and preaches the gospel. And Gentiles, almost to Peter's horror, are converted you can read in Acts 10.45, the circumcised believers, that's the Jewish Christians, who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. This was horrific. What is God doing? The gospel, God's kingdom, is solely for the Jew, isn't it? No. The message now is inclusion. Gentiles are fellow heirs. Fellow members, fellow sharers with Jewish believers, we equally inherit God's kingdom and all his riches. We are equal members in the church. We are equal sharers in God's promises. There are no second-class citizens, you see, in God's kingdom. And we are all Jew and Gentile saved, saved to uh, totally by grace. Now, this past week, uh, we've had the privatisation of the post office. But in God's kingdom, we are all equal shareholders. There's no such thing as a preferential shareholder and an ordinary shareholder. Or if you were applying for shares in the post office, and if you did see me afterwards, I shall discipline you. Um, well, by all means... <laughs> Just give me the profit that you've made. Uh, there are large institutional holdings and there's the small shareholder. No, it's nothing like that in the kingdom of God. God's purpose throughout history has been, you see, to create one united humanity, all one in Christ Jesus. And that was the revelation that Paul had received. When you get the opportunity, just meditate on verse 6 again. Let the Holy Spirit help you understand what it means for you and me. I am a joint heir. I'm an equal beneficiary of all that God has given. Equal with the Jew, the Jewish believer. I'm a joint member in the body of Christ. I'm a joint sharer. And this is all because of Jesus. But then Paul says in verse 8 about infinity. He says he's been called to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The mystery that you see is now revealed to which the Gentiles are equally included with the Jews is all focused on Jesus and it's on the riches that we enjoy in him. Now although as I said this mystery is revealed Christ's riches Paul says are still unsearchable. John Stott writes like the earth 
Christ's riches are too vast to explore, like the sea, too deep to fathom. Translators and commentators compete with one another in their attempt to find a dynamic equivalent in, e in English. The riches of Christ, they say, are unsearchable, inexplorable, untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, illimitable, inscrutable, and incalculable. He then suggests infinite is the simplest term. Now, I've marginally changed that to infinity because Christ's riches are infinite, but it's going to take you and I infinity spending time over that great period of eternity to explore them and to enjoy them. And even at the end of that time, if you're a mathematician, it's always good fun to think of uh, what is infinity plus one. There is no such thing, of course. But thinking, as it were, when I've got to the end of eternity, you'll still have more to explore and enjoy of the riches of Jesus. We'll never come to an end of them. Now, what are these riches? Well, surely what we've already seen in chapters 1 and 2. Forgiveness, grace, peace, joy, eternal life, adoption into God's family, membership of God's kingdom, reconciliation with God, equal shares in an inheritance that is literally out of this world. All because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I may have told you uh, previously that as a child I can just vaguely remember this I used to go occasionally with my father and he loved looking at pictures and I remember he took me to the National Gallery and he would stand looking at a picture for seemingly hours and I was panicking because we were going to get locked in the National Gallery and I was scared stiff and he said, no, no, just, just look at the picture. Well, I've seen it. Come and look at the next one. <laughs> but actually, in more recent years, going around the Louvre or the Uffizi in Florence, I now appreciate what he was appreciating. You need to stand and say the Mona Lisa, which I happen to see, I think we've seen it a couple of times, is a beautiful painting. I'm mean, a miserable woman, but uh, <laughs> just look at it. You can see wow, you know, there's amazing things as you just spend time gazing at it, if you can get anywhere near it, of course. Now, when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, he said to them, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. And I think he's, what he's saying is, gaze at me, look at me. Like my father gazing at a work of art. And I'm going to spend eternity gazing at Jesus. And I'm never going to get bored of that sight. Because it's such a beautiful sight. I'm going to look at his hands and see the wounds in his hands. I'm going to see his side and his feet. And the crown of thorns, no longer there of course. Do you know, he is the only one in heaven who's going to show any wounds. Any illnesses, any diseases, any injuries in my body will all be gone. Christ alone will have wounds in heaven because his wounds are part of his glory. 
And that's why we'll still see them. And we'll be gazing for eternity, admiring his beauty. And I was thinking again, as I was thinking of this, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. Can someone finish it? That's a bit of a rabble that was. <laughs> Let's do it again. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And then another old hymn. You'd never believe I'm only 24, but with all these old hymns I know. Through all eternity to thee, a joyful song I'll raise. But oh, eternity's too short to utter all thy praise. <laughs> Just... Uh, Going off a bit of a tangent, I happened to turn the television on for a couple of minutes this week and there was a Queen concert. Uh, I can explain afterwards who Queen are to those of you who just got no musical taste. <laughs> I don't know where it was, it might have been the O2 Arena, it might have been some great uh, stadium, but there were thousands adoring Queen. Oh, I'm quite a Queen fan. And they were worshipping. But I was thinking, yeah, the music's great. I enjoy listening to Queen music. But I'm going to worship the King of Kings, not Queen. Let's move on finally. Verse 10, intention. We thought of inclusion. This is the mystery that we're included. We thought of infinity, that... The mystery is that we're going to know Christ in all his beauty. And then thirdly, there's the intention. This is all part of this mystery. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God's overall intention in including Jew and Gentile equally in his family, all because of the infinite riches of Christ, is that his manifold wisdom might be displayed through the church. Now the word manifold here means multicoloured. It's used to describe flowers or an embroidered cloth or woven carpets. The word actually is quite closely linked to Joseph's coat of many colours. And the idea you see here in verse 10 is that the church is, is to be like a beautiful tapestry, a multiracial, multicultural, from a wide range of backgrounds, diverse and yet united group of people each serving God in the way that we've each individually been gifted by God. This is God's new society. This is why the church actually is unique in the world. There's no other society like the church. There's no other human community like it. And the many-coloured fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-coloured wisdom of God. Now, I 
rejoice and I'm so grateful that last Sunday afternoon there was a small example of that a very mixed team well it was mixed it included me working in harmony together supported by many of you in prayer enjoying food prepared by people who couldn't actually get here and similarly on Tuesday night at Christianity Explored a different team old and young male and female working together, serving God. And this is God's intention that's now revealed a multicultural, united, joined together church of God working in harmony. Let's really seek to work together, to pray together, to serve together, to make known God's multicolored wisdom. You know that for many years I was an accountant. The favourite colour of an accountant is beige. And even then, accountants get excited. May this church be multicoloured, not different shades of beige. And notice Paul says that this is all to be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You see, it's as though God has written a play. And he directs and produces it. And the church worldwide are the actors on the world stage. Who are the audience? Well, Paul says some of the audience are heaven and hell. Angels, you see, rejoice when someone becomes a Christian. Jesus said that. There's a party in heaven whenever someone believes. But there's terror in hell. Because the demons can see God's purposes being fulfilled. The church growing as a loving, united community. And their doom is drawing ever closer. So please, dear friend, don't drop out of the church. Don't church hop. Don't despise the church. Don't go to the church when you think you're doing it a favour. How can, we deal, how can we treat the church like that when Jesus, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He died for us. Let us love each other. Let us be a multicolored, multicultured community that is one in Christ Jesus. I've written about... Uh, the truly cosmic church on the front of the bulletin. Have a read through Ephesians. You'll see that it's all about God's new society, the church. So I'm going to leave you with three questions this morning. Are you, am I, included as a member of the church for whom Christ died? Are you part of this new community? Secondly, Am I, are you appreciating more and more the infinite riches that are in Christ? And thirdly, are you, am I seeking to fulfill God's intention for his church worldwide, but particularly here at CCBC? Let's sing about the grace of God as we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, and then we share communion together.